Now, what people expect these days is that if you send them a connection request, they are already waiting for the attack, for approach immediately after connecting. So if you can avoid that, then it will already be a, a, a win in comparing to the other 40 or 50 messages they receive each and every day. You're listening to the B2B Growth Think Tank, the show that brings you the virtual hot seat where each week my expert guests and I help another business leader by masterminding actionable solutions to a specific challenge they're currently trying to solve in their business. So if you're looking for answers to a specific challenge that you're facing, that if you could solve in the next 90 days would have a huge impact on your growth, send it in to thinktank at thinklikeafish.co.uk and we'll see if we can feature you on the show. My name is Adam King, your host and the captain of the ship at growth consultancy Think Like a Fish. And if you're ready to rethink what's possible for your business and discover the growth strategies, advice and insight to turn this new vision into a reality, let's get started. Hey, Adam here, and thanks very much for tuning in. And as you are, I'm going to make the assumption that you are responsible for generating revenue for an established B2B professional service business, and you're looking to grow your revenue. So what I've got for you, you're going to absolutely love because I've recently released my new revenue multiplier calculator and bonus training where using this tool and following the training, you'll discover how to uncover the hidden revenue opportunities in your business and be able to systemize your growth using seven revenue multipliers that can double your business in 12 months or less. So if you want to go and grab your copy, go to thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash calculator. Now on to today's episode. Hey, how you doing? Adam here. Now, just a quick one to give a little bit of an apology on this episode, both to you, the listener, and to Stefan, because after over a hundred episodes, I think this is the first time where I had an issue with my microphone, and it doesn't look like my um my uh, my, my proper microphone uh, actually connected while we record while we're recording. So you will hear me in a little bit more of a uh, I guess a tinny tone. Uh, because um, I was obviously recording through my um, ear pods rather than my actual um, microphone, which is a bit of a shame. But um, I hope that doesn't detract from the quality of this episode with Stefan, because there are some absolute gems in here. So with that being said, enjoy this episode with Stefan Smulders. Well, hello and welcome to the B2B Growth Think Tank. And joining me today to talk business growth and help out a fellow business leader on the virtual hot seat is someone who I know is going to blow your mind a little by sharing some of his most powerful, practical and ready to use strategies to improve your LinkedIn game. Now, using these strategies, he's helped clients in dozens of different niches, book tons of new sales appointments on the calendar, explode their growth and drastically increase their revenue through implementing social selling funnels. He's a SaaS entrepreneur who's bootstrapped his way from zero to $6 million in ARR in just 17 months by creating the world's safest software for LinkedIn automation, Expandy.io. Now, LinkedIn is booming right now. There are tons of opportunities to generate leads and win business, but only if you play your cards right, because the rules have changed. It's not a numbers game anymore, whether it ever really was, who knows? And you have to have the right strategy to fit today's realities if you want LinkedIn to work for you. So as my guest not only has the strategies, but gets to see all the data and the success from his clients, I'm excited about the prospect of getting some seriously powerful takeaways today and honored to welcome Stefan Smolders to the show. Stefan, how are you doing? Hey Adam, yeah, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for the for the for the really cool introduction. And it's a pleasure for me to uh, to be a guest on your show. Absolute pleasure, and um, yeah, I've been looking forward to this one because um, I uh, I'm 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 a bit of a, a, a sort of a, a techie geek and a marketing geek, and, and LinkedIn is is one of the things I find really powerful for a lot of businesses. But what I'd like to do first is get. I'll kind of deal with what may be the elephant in the room because you run a SaaS platform that runs automation software on LinkedIn. And there are some places where people say that automation on LinkedIn is is wrong or, I mean, it does go against the terms of service and that kind of thing. So what I'd 
could you sort of cover that first piece first and maybe before we dive into some of the strategies and tactics that your mm-hmm. software helps to enhance rather than replace what is it that the automation does and how can people use it yeah i think that's uh, that's actually a great question to uh, to start with um yeah first of all my name is stefan and i'm the founder of expandly we'll save a software for linkedin automation um yeah so we all now LinkedIn is, 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 is really booming with, with about the 700 million active users at the moment. And it also means that it can be a gold mine if you indeed play your cards right. But let's be honest as well, there are more than 400 third-party apps which can automate some repetitive tasks on LinkedIn. Most of these tools, they are actually designed for single users and they are Chrome extended, which means that you always have to open your laptop and that they can indeed run some interesting automations. But the disadvantage of most of these tools is that if they are designed for single users, besides the fact that you always have to open your dashboard and as soon as you close it, the automations will stop. And mostly of the times, that's not a problem if you only have to run one action or do a profile visit or making one connection. But as soon as you want to do intelligent outreach with multiple sequence steps to really act like a human, then the challenges came in. Especially if you want to run, for example, split tests. And because you want to test the approaches you designed to see which one's converting better. Um, so mostly of the times it's stuck at that point because these tools they lack in doing an advanced automation. And beside of that, um, yeah, it's also the case that yeah, actually a lot of people, they are scared to losing their profiles on LinkedIn. So we have to make sure that we're doing all these automations on a safe way. And, and I think Stefan, just before you sort of continue, I- in case anyone's listening and sort of thinking, okay, what what sort of uh, things are automated, or, or maybe they've sort of tried things in the past, but I think what we're what we're sort of talking about really, and and what we're hopefully going to help people see a different way of, of thinking is that I referred it to it in the in the introduction. Like LinkedIn is not a numbers game, and I think a lot yeah. of the automation softwares were um, pushed and marketed on the fact that you could literally just get a list of people stick a connection message in, send a message, get them to um, accept that request and then automate sort of, you know, just simply, you know, messages that were very sort of generic and, and would just sort of follow up and, and, and weren't really very personalized. They didn't really have the, I mean, maybe back in the day when it was new, it, it sort of had um, the desired effect, but people are a lot more tuned into this now. And there's a lot of um, backlash around the spammy sales approach and, and what a number of guests I've had on have, have referred to as the leg hump approach and all that kind of thing. Because if you're thinking LinkedIn automation to just enhance that side of things, that's when you're going to get into trouble, isn't it? Yeah. Correct. And um, that's actually also the point because people are used to doing outreach on LinkedIn on a certain way for many, many years. And let's go back to the early days, uh, maybe beginning 2015. Um, That actually works. A simple outreach and automation because nobody ever did that before. But because that so many people are acting the same way, uh, it feels automated. A first name, I came across your profile, I see you working as job title, super cool, let's connect. These templates and these approaches are overused and outdated. And that became also uh, because too many people are approaching on the same way. So the platform becomes too spammy. And actually what LinkedIn is doing at the moment is that they will you know, kind of reflect the behavior of the user and they limit the amount of connection requests people can send. So that means that if you want to stay on the platform, um, you have to change your approach. So it's not that common anymore that we can all keep on going with approaching people and seeing LinkedIn as a numbers game, and there will always be an outcome. That's actually how it was before. If I put enough people in it uh, uh, in the beginning, there are always a couple ones who reply or who uh, engage with your approach, but mm. let's 
Yeah, I mean, it used yeah. to be that you could, you know, chuck out, I don't know, 200 connection requests a day and, and, and all yeah. the rest of it and all the rest of it. And LinkedIn is uh, fairly recently really, really sort of throttling down on, on a lot of that, isn't it? Because yeah. of because of the nature of how people have maybe taken, I guess, the, the way that LinkedIn wants its its ecosystem to be, its environment, its platform. It's a networking platform. It's not a direct selling platform necessarily. It's It's sort of to connect, isn't it? It's to engage with people. It's to build value and all that kind of thing. And I guess when you posi- when you think about it from the perspective of LinkedIn, they don't want their platform to turn the users off because ultimately that doesn't help them. So I guess this is uh, this is almost sort of thinking, what are the rules that LinkedIn want you to play by, and how can you use and create a strategy that sort of goes along with what LinkedIn want their platform to be, and then maybe how can you use tools out there that can actually just streamline the process or make it a little bit easier, which you know is exactly what you guys do. Yeah, yeah if you, for example, look to the to the SSI score, um, that's actually how healthy is your profile. And it will also explain what LinkedIn actually wants you to do. And approaching people or connecting with people is just one single pilot. Uh, so there are a couple more pilots. And if you go a bit more in depth there, then you will see that uh, LinkedIn will value it if you create on a consistent way, valuable content, and not once a week, but maybe two, three or four times a week. And that can also be a nice starting point to engage with people who like or commented on your posted on creative content. Another thing what LinkedIn wants is that you're going to create events. And we saw that since the COVID kicked in that, yeah, actually everything happens online. So virtual events and online webinars, but you can host these ones in a simple way on LinkedIn. And if you're going to search for people who want to attend your event, then LinkedIn actually wants that you're going to engage with these kinds of people because you have a lot in common, they are interested, they are attending your event. And then you can actually make warmer introductions, you will achieve, uh, sorry, achieve a higher acceptance rate. So at the end, it has more to do than only connecting with people on LinkedIn. And that was unfortunately what everybody was doing before. And I see as well, along all the 10K users who are using such kind of a tool as Xpandi, that it's very hard for people to change their behavior and actually educate them again to do a step back. Because LinkedIn say, okay, we actually gonna separate the men from the boys and the people who want to stay on the platform, they have to come out of their comfort zones and they can't keep on going with sending hundred requests each and every day. So therefore, they limit it to one hundred. So it means if you want to get advanced of outreaching people, you have to personalize more, and not only with the first name or last name, but it starts with the targeting to find your target audience and you can do that on much more intelligent ways than doing a simple basic on sales navigator search with for example two filters the location and the job title um, so you have to dive a bit more in depth on how to find these people and make sure that it's actually kind of a sniper targeting where you um, find a smaller audience but the ones who are more engaging with your own approach. Mm. And I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's certainly, I think, that the way LinkedIn is trying to move things and the way that they're looking to direct you know, people using the platform in a particular way, it's going more and more towards, um, I guess, what it's like interacting in, it, in, in, in the real world. And it's a networking platform. It's, it's a relationship-building platform. And if you think about it in a way of you wouldn't go to a networking event and go into or go up to every single person before you've even found anything about them and say, here's my business card. Call me. I want to sell you something. Like, yeah. But that's what people are doing on LinkedIn or For that's sure. what they have been doing on LinkedIn. And I think that's what they have recognized. Maybe, you know, some people will say it, was, it may be not quick enough, but, you know, maybe they've allowed it to sort of go and, you know, in that way and, to get users up and depending on your point of view that may or may not be true but 
I think now they are starting to realize that actually, yes, they do need to start to police this a little bit more. So we've talked a little bit about what doesn't work and maybe what historically works. So what's a, what's a strategy that you see working today on LinkedIn? And, and let's start from sort of the, the, the conceptual level. So we're not thinking numbers. What are we thinking? And then maybe some examples of the type of uh, approach that people have used and then maybe how the tools that you provide people enhance that strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think along all the strategies I've played around with and tested out myself for the past uh, couple of years, I see actually the best results um, with two different types of strategies. They are actually very easy to, to, to execute but it starts with searching for content. If you're going to the basic search bar in LinkedIn and you're going to search by hashtag on a business related uh, 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 topic, then you can afterwards select posts and then LinkedIn will pop up relevant posts uh, to the content you put in the search bar. Uh, and if you find a post with a lot of engagement, so people who are liking and commenting on that specific post, that can be a great starting point to engage with these people and for sure not to immediately send an uh, appointment link in your connection request, but you have a common reason to connect these people. That means that if I found post of yourself on LinkedIn and I'm going to approach all the people who like and commented on your post. And it makes sense on a soft way to connect with these people. Hey, Stefan, I'm, all, uh, I'm also a fan of, of Adam's uh, uh, post about uh, these business growth uh, topics, uh, X, Y, Z. Um, since we have the same interest, let's connect. I've executed this as a starting point more than 100 times myself along all the accounts we are managing in our team. And I never ever achieved a lower acceptance rate than 60% and sometimes up to 82. And, 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 and just for context, Stefan, like the average acceptance rate, do you, do you have any data on that? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it depends on a lot of uh, uh, things, of course, mm-hmm. but I think if you, if you are able to achieve a 33% acceptance rate, then that's actually a nice number. Mm. But still, that could be very hard to to, to achieve. Well, I mean, we're talking um, double, just just sort of by yeah. taking this approach, aren't we here? Yeah. yeah. And it does and make I sense, also- doesn't it? Because I like what, what I like about um, just just the thinking about that strategy. It's it's again, it's based in the way that human beings behave. It's it's psychology, it's fundamental, it's it's behavior. And it is what is a commonality because we are attracted to the kind of people that are like us. Like it's natural, it's just the way we are. And if you see that somebody is liking something that you can also relate to, it's a conversation starter. And I think that what I love about you know, just a small part of the strategy that we're, we're hearing about here is is focusing conversation starters rather than maybe the other ways that people have been trained as, you know, let's let's just get the attention and, you know, try and try and sort of pitch. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm here to network. I see you and I have a shared interest, ideology, whatever it may well be. Exactly. Let's connect and continue the conversation. Like it's very non-invasive. It's very non-threatening. Yeah, what people expect these days is that if you send them a connection request, they are already waiting for the attack, for approach immediately after connecting. So if you can avoid that, then it will already be a, a, a win in comparing to the other 40 or 50 messages they receive each and every day. It's almost like I have this image in my head now where if people are being sent a lot of different connection requests and all the you know and outreach messages and stuff like that, it's almost like the person's on the other end of the screen, kind of like with their hands up in front of their face, yeah. sort of defending yeah. them. You know, like a, and it's almost like the job of that first message is to get them to lower their guard and open yeah. their open their body to accept almost like a handshake or even a hug. You know, it's that kind of approach. Correct. You actually want that that the people gonna change the approach from like to to love and um as a follow-up i should 
recommend in this case to interrupt the patterns and to minimize the ads and to relax people a bit more. For example, if you want to or decide to follow up after they're connecting instead of approaching or attacking, then you can also send a cool GIF animation about yourself with a cup of coffee or wish somebody a nice day uh, with an image. And I see as well that if you use such kind of a personalization and a different way of engaging with people, that people that the replies are changing from like to love. And that's a better starting point to engage later on. It's not always necessary to, to get immediately or straight away to the point of booking a call or an appointment or at least asking people somebody. People are open to, to, to share a lot of things if you ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. And if you put drop a lot of fun in it, uh, and that can be easily done with, with, uh, with a nice image or GIF animation about a common business topic. Um, and then I see from all the campaigns we are running ourselves that people are much more open to, to engage and mm. to reply on a nice way instead of no interest, no interest, no interest. Mm. And, and, and have you got any, any sort of insights into how important then it is because uh, to to really have your profile optimized your headline optimized because when somebody i mean i know from my perspective when somebody sends a, a connection request one of the first things i do is before i actually accept it depending on you know the nature of the request i'll click on the profile and i'll have a look and if it's to me if it's quite an obvious profile that is quite a sales led um not, not sales led profile but it it it, it, it there's not a lot of attention taken to it. There's nothing, it's not written in terms of the person that they serve and all that kind of thing. It's just all about sort of the company and we do this and blah, blah, blah. I, I might be a little bit less inclined to accept it. And if the headline doesn't necessarily reflect and then benefit to me connecting, are you seeing any correlation between tweaking that and the kind of request um, acceptance rates? Yeah, what you, uh, what you in general see on, on, on profiles is that some of them are indeed over the top with too many highlights or changing in the colors around the profile image, or you actually see still, and unfortunately, too much profiles which are not optimized, which not have five stars. And I mean, it's, it's an easy thing to change your background uh, uh, header image, to have a proper profile image to use your headline to share a couple of valuable insights instead of using it uh, uh, for the job title and the company name. I think most of the people still running their accounts unoptimized. They have no summary. And in a couple of uh, split seconds, you want to decide can this be a valuable relationship if I accept them? So I totally agree with you, Adam, that the first thing people are doing before they receiving or after they receiving a connection request is review the profile. Um, LinkedIn also has some recommendations. And I think if you follow that order to make it at least a five-star profile that you cover all the different sections that uh, yeah, that should be done by everyone. And unfortunately, that's a, a huge measure still for uh, many, many people on the platform. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I, I think if you think about it in a way that your headline is there to gain attention, like it's a headline, you know, a headline in a newspaper, a headline in, in an advertisement, anything like that. The headline is to get attention and communicate a benefit to the person to continue reading. So that I believe is is part of what the headline should do. And if you think about it in a way that when you're reaching out to connect with people and 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 I think this is where a lot of the the, the things are, a lot of the approaches have been wrong because people don't realize that this is the actual way that people use LinkedIn that they look at the connection request and they'll look at the profile and all the rest of it. So you don't actually need to lead in with the full kind of right here's what I do blah 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 buy my stuff because you can make a compelling offer in a headline and then talk about it a little bit more and bring out the benefits of um, either 
working with you, being connected with you, all of that kind of thing to make it more enticing and more likely that that connection request will be accepted. And then combine it with a kind of strategy that you're talking about here, which is all about finding a way to start a conversation and a different way of starting a conversation. You are setting yourself up for a higher level of success and LinkedIn itself will start to take notice of that because I don't have the data, but it's sort of anecdotal and, and talking with other people. The more you don't get things accepted, the more LinkedIn kind of looks at you and, and doesn't like the way that you're doing things and it can affect you in all sorts of other different ways as well Definitely. and have a negative impact on your entire sort of experience of the platform. Totally true. So talking of the the automation side of things, how does what you guys do at Expandy help people to sort of use this kind of conversation starter strategy? How, do, how, how, do, how does the tool help people use this in a way that enhances the strategy that people couldn't necessarily do without it? Yeah, um, besides the fact that it is a, a huge time saver for, for, for people, especially for the ones who are very active on LinkedIn, I think expanding differentiate itself to execute intelligent strategies. And for example, if we going back to uh, the point on how to find people on LinkedIn, there are of course tons of different ways. I can run an, an, an intelligent uh, sales navigator search, but actually I also can use other scrape tools like Phantom Buster or XR to find my audience on other social media channels, for example, Facebook group. And if I run their automation, then I can export a CSV with email addresses and I can easily convert them to LinkedIn profiles. And then expandly, you can upload such kind of a CSV with LinkedIn profile URL from any other resource. And mostly of the times, these kind of searches are more hyper-targeted. Um, posts. LinkedIn is full of content. And I think at the moment, the number one place also to share and engage with content. So it's actually very easy to find valuable content which is related to your own business topic. And with a couple of simple mouse clicks, you can import and scrape each and every post on LinkedIn. Um, it can be your own post, maybe from an industry leader or an influencer, but also a post from a company page. It could be maybe a competitor. It can be very interesting that if your competitor has uh, uh, some valuable company posts on their LinkedIn with people who are engaging, that that audience uh, might be also interested to learn more about your approach. Mm. Um, that can be easily done with Expandly, but we see since a couple of months is that, for example, polls are very, very popular because it's more easy for people to engage with a poll question by simply clicking on it, then writing a comment down. Mm -hmm. In x we allow you, for example, to create your own poll and import all the people who vote. Um, another interesting search strategy embedded in x is that LinkedIn is also full of events. Especially as I mentioned before, after the COVID, we see an increasement of, of active events on LinkedIn. But if you're going to search for a specific event which maps your business topic or service, the audience who attend that event can be an interesting starting point to engage with. Mm. So if you attend an event with a couple of clicks, you can easily import all the attendees from that event and use that as a starting point to run your automations for example. And it, it uh, makes a bit more sense thinking about it that way because I think what I'm hearing is that the, the real benefit of using an automation software isn't necessarily what people have been pushing. It's not necessarily the outreach side of things. It's a lot to do with the ability to target 
but not just a target based on the criteria, which, you know, Sales Navigator does help things, but you're still reliant on people to be putting the right things in their profile, to be updating their profile, all that kind of thing. Whereas what you're talking about here is you're targeting based on behavior. You're targeting based on things that people are actually doing. And by their behavior, what they're showing is an interest in a particular topic, a particular event, a particular type of content, all that kind of stuff, which it's not available in the normal search. You, you know, you don't have a filter for, um, um, you know, liked so-and-so's post. You don't have a, you know, any of that. So this makes a bit more sense because you will get a bit more of a, well, it'll be targeted, but it'll also be based on the fact that people have recently actually done something on the platform. Therefore, you can be a little bit more informed about the kind of things that they may well be interested in here. And you can just use that as a conversation starter. And I think that's the thing that's coming through all of this. It's it's a conversation starter and using some of the tools out there and some of the automations to be able just to make that a little bit more simple and then maybe save some of the time on the back end as well. But really, maybe it's a shift in the mindset of, of what you can use software for. And ultimately, I think, and, and some of the stuff that you guys have in your thing, I found that the LinkedIn platform is is great, but some of the interfaces are awful. Like the message um, inbox is terrible. Like it is absolutely terrible. To be able to manage it, to be able to keep track, to be able to, you know, they used to have tags and they have lists in um, sales navigator and all that kind of thing. It, it's still got very messy. But actually looking at a tool like Expandy, it kind of brings it all in and, and it actually makes it easier to sort of follow the conversation and not miss things. And that's another real, a real benefit, I think, of, of these sorts of tools because we can just let things slip through the cracks on LinkedIn. It's very, very easy to do. Totally true. And, and I think for most of the people, the number one problem beside finding the best way to, to approach people is actually keeping track of the LinkedIn inbox because for some strange reason, and that's also for uh, many, many years, that if you refresh your inbox, you lose the unread messages. It's not ranked in the right order. But if you lose these messages, you can't reply. You lose actually track of everything and also of the business opportunities which should came out of it. Um, and indeed, in Expandi, we, uh, we've seen the LinkedIn inbox and we are also uh, um, able to provide an in-app chat, which means that you don't have to leave our cloud-based dashboard, but that you can follow up straight from the Expandi in-app chat instead of leaving. To make it a bit more easier for everybody, you can assign tags, you can uh, make it a bit more comfortable for yourself, you can push them forward to your CRM or to Google Sheet um, yeah, to get a better insights of the numbers and track of everything that's going on. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know that in itself, I think LinkedIn could probably learn a lot from you know, companies like yours actually how to design that interface to make it a little bit more user friendly because that does, I mean, it turns a lot of people off. Um, I know I've spoken with people that are like, yes, I would use it more, but it's too cumbersome. It, you know, it, it's not very intuitive. I lose all these conversations and all the rest of it. And ultimately, I think that, I mean, LinkedIn does publicly say that they don't like these sorts of things, but I think it's because of the way that they've been used. If you're using it to just enhance the way that you maintain your relationships, I can't see that that's a bad thing. I can't see that that is necessarily something that would be viewed as negative if you are making sure that you maintain positive and valuable contact with people that want to hear from you and you want to be in contact with. I, I don't see any issue with that. I think the issue is, as we covered at the beginning, the the spamming approach, the numbers heavy approach, You know, people being just rude sometimes i think you know people can be rude and i think that if there is a way to help people manage their time on the platform and i mean again from personal experience through the whole covid situation i haven't been as active on linkedin as maybe i have in the past because some of the challenges on my time but also just losing track of conversations losing track of things that have happened and i think that being able to have something that actually allows you to almost visually see a flow of a conversation and visually sort of 
help to either start a conversation or um, continue a conversation or re-engage a conversation because I think that's something that we don't always do very well. You know, we have a conversation, we send a message, it goes a little bit quiet for a, a few days and then it gets so buried. There's no reminder. There's no, oh, right, what did I need? Unless you are very, very good at tracking it on a spreadsheet or something like that, which is, again, time consuming. Correct. And um, again, it's, it's, it's also a hard one still from what I see uh, along our users to follow up on the right time if people reply. Mm. I think... Uh, there's a lot to win as well. Mm. If people uh, uh, are open uh, and engage on a conversation to follow up on the right time. Mm. And, and, and I think that, I think there is a place for automation. And, and, and I think we spoke about this before we um, um, sort of had, had the record on and all the rest of it, but I've had a bit of a kind of uh, a shifting relationship with the idea of automation. Um, I've used it in the past, but probably did it in the wrong way, you know, guilty, you know, hold my hands up, that kind of thing. And then I went completely the opposite. I was like, very much no automation, let's do it personalized, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that there is a happy medium, like with all these things that you kind of find the balance. And Mm -hmm. I think that if you view it as a way of being able to really save yourself some time, but also manage the conversations. And it's almost like, Can you find ways of identifying the right kind of people with the right types of potential problems and issues that you can add value to? Tick in my box. Use tools like this for something like that. And can you use it to simply start the conversation? But then once the engagement is there, I think people miss this bit. It's like that's when you take over as an individual. Like that isn't where you then just sort of allow a uh, you know, a, a funky sequence in the back end to do all the rest of it for you. You then have to actually engage. I bet it, yeah, it, it will make it easier to spend uh, attention on the right time to the right profile. Hmm. Um, so in terms of success rate, it, 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 uh, it will increase definitely, even if hmm. you're not focused that much on approaching a lot of people, but just using a, actually a CRM or a dashboard to keeping track on everything that's going on. And then not only the inbox, but also in terms of metrics, how many people I approach, how many people accept, how many people engaged, and how many people replied. It are actually nice and needed numbers to know to design an even better approach mm-hmm. the next time. And also, if you think about it, the amount of time that you could potentially save with that, like the time that you are spending on an individual is then focused on adding value to an individual, whether it's through the conversation and moving it off or the time that you would maybe have spent sort of sending out some of the connection requests, sending out some of the messages and all the rest of it that has been streamlined a bit with with software like Expandy. You can actually use that time and actually use it to fulfill what LinkedIn wants is that is add value onto the platform. Like. If you're spending 30 minutes a day, an hour a day doing the outreach side of things, which is very manual and all the rest of it, Mm -hmm. you could be spending that time each and every day creating content that adds value to the platform and therefore serves LinkedIn, serves you, serves your customer. I think that's a kind of a, a better way to look at it, that you're not trying to replace yourself. You're just trying to, I guess optimize the use of your time and your value yes and i think that yeah. that is a really nice way to see how you would use um the kind of tools that we're talking about here so really fascinating and i hope that sort of shifted the way people see not just the idea of automation but then how to use that to enhance a more informed strategy in today's sort of a linkedin arena so um what i want to do now is move on to the virtual hot seat section of the show Hey, it's Adam. Now, just a quick one before we dive into today's virtual hot seat, because as the core philosophy behind the show is a rising tide lifts all ships, I'd love to invite you to come and hang out with me, my guests and other business owners and directors of established businesses with a track record of providing good, solid service and a positive reputation in their market inside the B2B Growth Think Tank community, where we all connect, solve problems and help each other grow more profitable businesses. It's free to join, so come along, join us at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash think tank. 
group. I look forward to welcoming you, but first, let's get to today's virtual hot seat. For those who um, are new and haven't heard this section, this is basically where um, Stefan and I will be responding and brainstorming some ideas, solutions to a listener challenge that has been sent in. And sometimes we'll help them come up with solutions. Sometimes, as as I've started saying, we will help them ask themselves some better questions to help them maybe come up with a solution themselves. So today's virtual hot seat challenge is I've developed a SaaS software that helps businesses generate more social proof by automating the way they capture, generate and publish customer success stories and case studies using an AI powered virtual agent to interview customers. It then creates multiple sales assets, marketing and content assets that they can use throughout the entire buyer's journey. My challenge is, though, I'm in a bit of a chicken egg situation. I'd like to go to market by licensing the software to marketing agencies and other businesses where digital marketing touches some aspect of their service delivery to help them expand their offerings and grow their revenues. But I don't yet have enough high end user, uh, high enough end user feedback to validate the product and uh, that that product will have that demand that I expect. So any thoughts on the direction I should go at this point? Now you are a founder of a SaaS company and I can imagine you have got a lot of um, experience obviously of this, but maybe some thoughts on on some of the first things to think about. Definitely, and I think it's uh, it's an interesting uh, topic to, to discuss because for the many, many SaaS founders around, this is a common challenge. You have a great idea, you design the product and then the next step is how to market it because you want to spend all your time on it you want to make a living of it and even better if it's possible but in my opinion it all starts with the product market fit and the validation of the product because there are maybe already tons of similar tools out over there which you're not aware of and even if you're aware of that you can take advance of it so if I replace it, uh, exactly the same case study as what we did with Expandly, we bootstrapped Expandly as well, and we launched it mid-November 2019 on the global market without any budget on marketing or paid advertisements, unfortunately. So we needed to be a bit more creative and doing things out of the box to move things forward. Now, a little bit of a small background. I was an agency owner who helped people getting great results on LinkedIn before I start designing expanding. But I've used all the tools out there in the market and knew all their advantages, but also their disadvantages. And that was also the reason why I stuck. And from frustration, I shared my ideas about expanding to use it uh, on a safe way in the cloud from agency perspective with my technical co-founder Glenn. And that was actually our starting point. But mm-hmm. after that, the go-to-market, what we did in the beginning is that we we start building a comparing page between our tool and one of our biggest competitors at that time point. And because I've used these two before myself, I for sure knew everything about what was not that perfect in my belief. And as a second step, we needed to gather feedback as well from people. Is there a fit? And will it definitely make sense to spend all our money and time to move the project forward? So what we did as a starting point was that we were searching for communities where uh, actually the community of our competitors. Eh? So let's say our competitor had a Twitter, uh, a Twitter page, but they also had a closed Facebook group with a lot of users in there. And what we did, we used and scraped to, I think at that time point it was uh, uh, Texan to scrape mm. all the people in that group. And we exported all the email addresses and later on we converted these ones to our own tool as an upload. 
And we used expanding to engage and connect with these people. Hey, first name, I see we're about a, a part of the amazing uh, competitor group. Uh, so we have a common interest and I just want to learn more about how you use it. Hmm. That was the starting point to approach these people. And instead of attacking them, we asked just that we were stuck with using the competitor's tool. Therefore, we designed a brand new one with a lot of new opportunities. But before we go to market, we want to validate it. And actually, we need feedback from experienced users like yourself. Mm. Such kind of approach we designed. And that approach to gather feedback brought us more than 40, 40 appointments per week coming out from that sequence. And the goal was, of course, to book a call, actually a feedback call to share some ideas, which we had in mind. And I always started with asking, okay, how you use the competitor's tool and what's working for you and what's not working. And 70% of what they were sharing with me aligned exactly with the comparing page I designed. Mm. So it was easy afterwards to say, if I can solve all these challenges you're facing now, would mm. you be open to learn a bit more about what we've designed? Yeah, and what I like as well is, first of all, that you've uh, you've drunk your own champagne with that approach. You've used the uh, the tool that you have designed to actually do that. Now, this person may or may not be able to do that, and um, there may or may not be um, similar kind of competitors out there and, and all the rest of it. But I think that hearing the thread that goes through the way that you've approached it, it's about sort of thinking, okay, how can I actually go out and find groups of people that are likely to have the the problem that my believe my software solves and how can i engage them in a way that is non-salesy non-invasive kind of looking for feedback to be able to have regular conversations with them and going with that hypothesis of this is why i believe what we have is going to um, actually be an enhanced experience in comparison maybe to competitors or the way that you're doing things right now and you're validating, you're asking questions. And at the end, it is very much that offer, I guess, of would you like to hear about what we are doing and, and, and see if you are sort of interested in it. I'm curious to see, sort of hear as well. Did you did you offer any sort of like beta groups or the way that people would maybe sort of say, OK, you can you know come in, use it. We won't charge you, break it, see how things go like that kind of thing. Was that an approach you took? Uh... No, we, we, we did not do that, but if I should do it again, um, because the market where we operate is a little bit of a gray area, right? It's a cat and a mouse game at LinkedIn. So it's all about trust and safety and uh, because nobody wants to lose their profiles. So we decided maybe a bit too late to take advance of creating our own community, a close community where we share value to create a safe place for people with... With, with, with similar people in there, which can share ideas. So to come back to your actually case study, I should create straight from the beginning a safe place and community. Mm. And from my experience, I see that, for example, the groups on Facebook are much more active than the ones on LinkedIn. So if you are able to create an own closed Facebook community, and then use LinkedIn and build a funnel to bring people in there. And yeah, coming back to some of the search strategies that if you're going to search for content related to your product, then it's actually a warm introduction to bring people because you like this post, because you attend uh, this event, uh, I've created a an, an, an community about this business topic where we share tons of value. And mm. Stefan is also in there. Uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg votes uh, for the top 100 uh, groups. There's a funny joke in it. Uh, would you join as well? Mm. Um, yeah, I like that still, idea as well. I think that yeah. that could be incredibly valuable. And I think that, I mean, I mean, what are your thoughts about um, 
sort of going for the licensing approach as opposed to going direct to the end user because i think that what that approach does is it's sort of going to again it's kind of taking a similar type of approach it's going to places where there are potentially groups already i.e clients Mm -hmm. of agencies that would have this need to sort of go in and add value to that um, agency but also help that agency add further value to their end user as opposed to going straight to direct end user yeah i should uh, take the the easy way and that's still going on with approaching the marketing agencies because then you only have to convince them once and you have to sell it once and it means that their own customers they already trust the agency so it will be more easier for them than for you to approach them straight away mm. um, do you have thing- a similar kind of program with expanding yeah in the beginning with expanding we we thought it uh, uh, a bit more as well. Um, in our beta period, when we uh, just beta testing the, the, the product from technical perspective, we of course used our own tool to approach people. And in the beginning, we did it just on the local, the Dutch market, and we approached actually people who did not even use an automation before. Uh, to try to book a call with them. And with all our enthusiasm, of course, we uh, we booked a lot of calls, but we found out that it costs a lot of time and effort. First, I have to sell LinkedIn. If I sold LinkedIn, I have to sell automation. Oh, you can also automate some things on LinkedIn. If I sold the automation, then they ask me, how do I have to approach people? What's the best way to do that? Can you educate me? So. We found out that it was for us a no-go to scale fast. So therefore, afterwards, we decided that's actually fine. Similar customers as I was myself, growth hackers, LinkedIn agencies, actually people who are already in love with LinkedIn, who already use automation and um, who already know how to build strategies. They only need the trust and we have to fill the gaps with the problems they have now. Yeah, it's kind so of like, who, we... who has people that are closer to the buying pocket? I've heard that term. And it's kind of like they don't need the education around, say, the value of having social proof, because that might be something that's that, that this company will have to really concentrate on. It's like educating the value of it. And then you know, the, the, the challenges of the old way versus a new way and all that kind of thing. And, and, and it could be an even more narrowing of the target around the types of agencies you're not going to go after a graphic design agency necessarily or a um, seo agency but a reputation management agency will have people in that business first of all that understand the value of social proof and also customers that also understand the value of social proof because they're already paying for a service that helps enhance the reputation management reviews all that kind of thing so i think that there's an awful lot of things to consider in there but I think that, yeah, it is a chicken and egg thing with, let's be honest, with every business. Like you have an idea, you want to go to market, but you need proof. So how do you get proof? Well, sometimes the best way you can get proof is by, as you've said, sort of having some of those conversations and then getting people just to try it, like however you want to get them to try it. But it's, I think the the difficulty, and, and we all make it a bit overcomplicated sometimes. We try and go for the world, whereas actually if we can go, right, these are the kind of people that I can identify you can do something, and, and this hasn't something that um, I'd necessarily thought of, but that kind of taking some of the strategies that we've just been discussing is a great way of doing that. Finding content around social proof, around case studies, around you know the things that the problem that your um, SaaS is going to solve, and engaging with them using maybe Expandy, even if they don't use Expandy, it's 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 the same sort of approach. It's starting the conversation, and then looking to be able to continue that and potentially validate it to the point where it's like you've got your own social proof. And I think that could be one of the, um, I don't know, one of the ironies maybe that you have a, a, a platform that is all about social proof, but you're trying to get that social proof yourself. Um, yeah. kind of- maybe on top of that, um, an interesting way is to, to, to actually search for content on Google 
and try to find authors of, of, of articles about social proof. We, we did a similar thing with Expandi. And what you're doing then is searching for micro-influencers, people with already a larger reach in that niche, and try to approach these people, not to sell them anything, but just try to become a friend and to give their feedback on the things you've designed. We did exactly the same with, with, with expanding and it helps, it, it costs at that time point tons of, of hours to find manually indeed on Google, a lot of articles from people who were talking about LinkedIn automation. So we took an, uh, an Excel sheet and wrote everything down, the author, the, the title of the article, the website where we found it on, uh, but also the uh, competitive tool they recommended in uh, in their articles. And we use all these variables as actually kind of a dynamic placeholders to hyper-personalize the messages in our approach to reach them. Hey, Adam, I just finished reading your amazing article mm -hmm. uh, about uh, uh, the, uh, the title. Um, uh, and then it put in the website domain. Um, what we saw is that if you're doing that the right way, that these people are definitely open to bring new content and new ideas to share with their own community. Mm. And that makes sense. Absolutely. Because they've already got the trust and, you know, that yeah, kind of thing. Definitely. So I think that's a fantastic And, you know, it's kind of like an endorsement or, yeah, whatever it is that you you would sort of come up with with that person, maybe just to try and get their feedback and all that kind of thing. So many ideas, so many benefits. So, Stefan, that's been incredibly helpful. And I do hope that um, that is going to add some value to this person. But also just hearing about some of the, the you know, even if you're not running a SaaS business, but having listened to the thinking of someone that has literally bootstrapped their way from nothing, six million a month like or six million in, in recurring revenue um, annually, like that is that is gold. And, and, and there are, I would advise you to go back and listen and have a think about how you can apply some of this thinking and ideas to your own business, because it will help. <laughs> I think you, know, you, you are proof. So, um, Stefan, that's been um, fantastic. And um, I mean, when it comes to um, the tool itself, why don't you give a quick sort of um, like who would benefit from exploring something like Expandy? And then where's the best place to connect with you in order to find out more? Yeah, I think uh, uh, we slowly became the um, yeah the, the, the CNN for LinkedIn lead generation. So I uh, I try to produce a lot of content around the best tactics and strategies to approach on LinkedIn on ways which are a bit of out of the box. And I published all these ones on the Expandy blog page, so people can can can. If they, I think it's interesting for everybody who want to get more advance of uh, doing active things on LinkedIn. So even if they not want to use any type of automation, all these insights and, 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 and tactics, they could be also very interesting to help you with some inspiration or moving forward and making better decisions. And these ones you can all find on, on expandi.io slash blog. It's, it's really full of in-depth content. We have more than 50K unique uh, blog readers per, per calendar month. Um, and if people want to get in touch with me personally, the most uh, easiest way is to engage with me on Facebook. My uh, Facebook is stefan.smallos83. And feel free to shoot over a message through, uh, through the messenger over there. And I will make sure that I'm very, very useful for any Fantastic. incoming questions to uh, to help people out. Fantastic. I'll put all those links as well. And, and and one thing I will say about the content that I've seen from you guys and and some of the um uh, the reports and all the rest of it, it's exactly as you say. It's kind of like you can use the automation, or you don't have to use the automation with a lot of the things that you're saying because the 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 ideas and the strategies that you've come up with they are based on sort of how people interact in the real world and you have applied that to an online environment and you have created a tool that will help and enhance it and maybe speed up the process or help you manage the process however but you don't have to use the tool because 
it isn't about the tool. It's about the strategy. But it's about the strategy and then selecting the right tool for the job. And if you are yes. going to go down this route, definitely um, expanding is one of the tools I would suggest you go and take a look at because of the way that you, I know, have um, sort of built the platform. You focused on um, really pushing the strategy in the right way, which I don't think comes across from every everyone else. And it's safe and it's, it's, it's just a user-friendly way of actually managing and building relationships and starting conversations. And I think that's what we need to focus on and that's what we need to think about if we are going onto LinkedIn in a way that we want to potentially generate business, but it's got to start with hello. And that's what a tool like Expandy will help you do is just improve how you say hello. Maybe that's a nice way of putting it. So Stefan, thank you ever so much for joining me. It's been a really, really interesting conversation. I can only imagine there are people scribbling notes and maybe they're not even listening anymore because they've gone over to the blog and, and Expandy and, and, and all the rest of things because I think you really should. So make sure you do that and I will leave you to your day and thanks very much for joining me. Take care. A real pleasure to, uh, to be here and uh, uh, let's share some valuable links afterwards. So that's it for this episode. I hope you found it valuable. I hope you got some great ideas that you can take away and apply to your business to help you grow. If you did, please share it with somebody else that might also find this valuable because they will thank you for it. Also to let you know that I have a podcast gift page where I put a lot of resources that I love to share with my listeners. You can find the links to join the Facebook community there and you can get my book, the Conversational Relationship Marketing and the audiobook version all for free, plus a number of other resources I'll be adding over time on that page. So make sure you head there to thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift and you can help yourself to the things that make most sense to you. And if you have enjoyed the show, please make sure you're subscribed. You'll get updated as the new episodes come out. And finally, last favor, please consider giving the show your honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one. They mean the world for me. I love hearing from my listeners and it does help others find the show as well. So if you want to go and do that, I'd really appreciate it. But until next time, have an awesome day and we'll speak soon.